the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the fourth Sunday of Tuut, and today's gospel reading exemplifies and shows in a very clear manner the indescribable love of our Lord Jesus Christ, his love and his tender mercy that he shows and that he's ever willing to and able to forgive us our sins and to um, have us start a new life. The story begins as our Lord was invited by one of the Pharisees to come to his house and eat with him. And as Christ was at the table, a woman in the very depth of sin came to him uh, with a very sensible and, um, and clear awareness of her own uh, sinful way of life. And she came to him in faith and assurance that Christ is able to cleanse her and deliver her from her faults, free her from her former sins, and not remember her inequities. She fled for refuge in him who knows how to save and is able to raise us from the depth of impurity. The Pharisee, however, began to judge both the repentant sinner and he also judged Christ himself as well. Uh, but Christ's tenderness and, um, and his love also sought the uh, correction of this Pharisee as well because he wanted to save him as well. So let's look at the Pharisee and the repentant woman and then we'll look back at Christ as well. Our Lord granted the Pharisee this favor of entering his home after being invited. He does so because he desires that all people be saved and all come to the knowledge of truth, as it says in First Timothy chapter two. Now we can we've talked many times about the Pharisees and and what kind of person they were and how they were kind of shown in the New Testament. Uh, they were a sect of Judaism that were very zealous for keeping the law and they were very proud of that and it was like the center of their lives. <clears throat> they were probably established after the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians in the second or third century B.C. and and then um, in reaction to the Hellenizing of the Jews, the Greek uh, influence, the Greek culture influence on. Judaism, they probably came out of that um, that impact. However, they had too much, uh, they put too much authority to the law. For the law was implemented to allow humanity to understand the standard of what righteousness is and what is not. So that's the purpose of the Old Testament law. <clears throat> it defined sin and it defined the righteousness of God. And But it also highlighted and put a magnifying glass on the big gap between the sins of people, which it defined, and the righteousness of God, which it outlined as well. But it didn't offer any kind of solutions for that closing in that gap. <clears throat> it didn't justify anyone, uh, and, and because no one is able to fulfill the righteousness of God and to follow the law perfectly, even though his life was only one day on earth, his life would not be justified. We resist and stumble and fall short of God's glory and God's righteousness every single day of our life. But through Christ's gift of grace, received through faith and baptism, and by living in Him daily, we receive justification, we re receive sanctification, and we receive mercy <clears throat> that was absent in the Old Testament law. <clears throat> it's impossible with men to obtain this righteousness or this sanctification with God except through Jesus Christ and the grace that He gives us. <clears throat> so Satan came to this Pharisee. And he knew how proud he was of his meticulous observance of the law. And throughout the, um, the New Testament, we, we know that the Pharisees are singled out as seeming righteous to themselves more than others. So Satan kind of played against him with this. So in their minds, they did not need healing. And they saw uh, themselves as better than everyone else. That they were the sons of Abraham and Moses and that they observed the law meticulously. 
but as we discussed, no one can keep the law, right? It's very difficult to, like, it's impossible to keep the law perfectly. But in their pride, they didn't realize that. And in their sickness and blindness, they did not ask for God's mercy. And which is why Jesus said to them in another instance, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But if you say, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Because when we approach Christ, we have to approach him in humility. He's willing and able to accept us no matter what the depth of our impurity or sins are. And he's willing to put our sins so far away from us that we can't even see them anymore. <clears throat> and he heals us completely. On the cross, he outstretched his arms so that no one can close them. right? And so we can always approach Jesus no matter what. He's willing to accept us that we can live in him. But just as Satan and Adam and Eve were cast out of the presence of God because of pride, we enter back into the presence of God through humility. This is how we go back in his presence. Pride is the mother of all sins. And they say it's the greatest of all sins. It's the first sin. And it's the, the one that gave birth to all other sins. It is really the worst thing in our, in, our, in our faith when somebody asks, what is the worst sin that somebody can have? Or somebody, uh, what is the worst thing that somebody can do? It's not all those other things that we judge people by, but it's pride. Pride is the worst of all sins because it's through pride that all other sins enter into our life. And the Pharisees didn't learn this. And through their pride and in their so-called observance of the law, they lacked love and were indeed very sick spiritually. So Satan used this and whispered in his ear not to accept the sinful woman. So this thought inside of him, um, it's as if he was saying, as the Bible outlines today in today's reading, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This is what he was thinking inside of him. So he committed two mistakes here. The first one, he considered himself so much better than the repentant woman. He considered himself so much more elevated than her. He didn't even uh, want to touch her. He said, like, we shouldn't even touch her. He even blamed the physician of stones for allowing her to touch his feet. Isaiah the prophet describes these people in Isaiah chapter 65, and he describes this kind of self-righteous person who says in their heart, stand by yourself, come not near me, for I am holier than thou. I am holier than you are. You might have heard that phrase, holier than thou. It comes from Isaiah chapter 65. For the prideful person who thinks that their righteousness is so far that, you know, that other person can't even touch me. Of course, this is the opposite attitude that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us. In our Bible study on Friday, we learned from St. Paul's epistle to the, to the Philippians, which says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, let each, of, each of us should think of the other person better than themselves. The second mistake is that he didn't recognize Christ for who he was. He thought Christ was just an ordinary man that he didn't know that this woman was a sinner, that if he did know, wouldn't allow her to come near him. He didn't expect Christ to know that what he was thinking as well. So he was thinking in his mind all these judgments, but Christ, of course, knew what he was thinking. He didn't honor Christ, not even washing his feet as was the custom or giving him a kiss when he entered. Like, for example, contrary to the Pharisee's father, Abraham, from father for many generations, Abraham, who in the Old Testament was visited by God, who appeared to him in a human form, 
And he did recognize him and ran out to meet him. And what did he do? He washed his feet. That's the first thing he did. Also, contrary to Psalm 2, 12, which says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little bit. Blessed are those who put their trust in him, in the son. The Pharisee, however, because of his pride, did not recognize him and didn't give the Lord the honor that's due to him, as the woman did. It's, it's amazing that this woman uh, fulfilled the Old Testament better than, than the Pharisee did in spirit and in truth. Christ perceived that the Pharisee was thinking this, of course, because he knows what's inside each one of us. He's the only one who knows. Sometimes he knows more than what we know. Right? He knows even in greater depth what's inside of us than even what we know. But our Lord loved this Pharisee as well and used the tears of the woman to actually benefit him as well. So let's now turn our attention to the repentant woman. What shall we say regarding her is that you know she probably overcame so many obstacles to come to the feet of Christ and to uh, you know cry at his feet. The Gospels are silent on the journey that she took before going to the Pharisee's house, but one can imagine some of the obstacles that she had uh, to do, to, to overcome, to get there. Upon hearing that our Lord Jesus Christ, for example, was having a meal at the local Pharisee's house, she probably rejoiced and decided to take courage and go to the Pharisee's house to, to, to start anew. To, she knew that Christ was able to give her a new life. She knew that she would never have been able to let inside the house. So she determined within herself to enter anyways, you know, that she would barge in at the risk of being rejected and shamefully sent away in front of everyone. She knew that was probably a risk. She was barging her way into a party. And on top of that, it's a Pharisee's house on top of that, right? I mean, the courage that she must have, uh, you know, mustered just to get to that point. And as she walked toward the house where Christ was visiting, how much stress do you think she was going through? How much doubt threatened her to turn back? But she persevered through all that and continued hoping in the mercy of Christ and the acceptance of Christ. So many mysterious and unanswered questions in the story about how she was walking towards the Pharisee's house and what she was thinking about. But let's try to imagine some of these things. How did she determine to turn from her sins and to do such a humble thing as to weep at the feet of this amazing prophet that was entering into the house. Did she weep as she was walking? And when she went and used the money that she earned, probably doing things that were not good, and she used that money now instead of maybe adorning her hair and buying perfume for herself and buying jewelry, instead she buys a, a flask, a jar of this very fragrant and probably very expensive oil to pour at the feet of Christ. What was the look on her face as she looked down as she was walking, you know, holding this jar as she was walking towards the master's house and how, what kind of thoughts entered into her mind as she's walking, trying to repent, holding on tight to this jar of oil. She knew that she wouldn't be accepted. She knew that she might even be kicked out of the place. What prayers did she murmur along the way asking for God's mercy and acceptance, asking for God's gaze, just a small gaze from him? What words of encouragement did she tell herself? I'm sure she might have had the devil even whisper in her ears, what are you doing? How can you enter into the Pharisee's house, let alone in the presence of, of Jesus? And she probably maybe 
stopped walking a few times, maybe tried to turn back, but eventually pushed through. Maybe she said, I'm going to the one who heals because I am wounded and sick, to the one who gives sight because I am blind. Her desire for repentance and healing came at a time when ridicule was going to be faced, but she overcame that ridicule. She knew that she would face, um, you know, like an, an amazing type of uh, like, you know, shame as she walked into this house. Uh, she came into this house uninvited and into a Pharisee's house on top of that. How many obstacles did Satan throw at her as she was walking towards the house? Thoughts of despair, thoughts of uh, hopelessness, thoughts of her past sins. But every time she, that he approached her, Satan, every time he approached this woman, she was re he was repelled by humility in her heart. That was what Satan could not grasp. He was probably stopping her, throwing every type of obstacle in front of her, but she overcame them all through her humility. Satan was repelled by the humility in her heart, which is something that he and his demons can never endure. There's the story, the famous story of St. Macarius, and uh, I know we've said this a few times. Uh, so St. Macarius was praying, and the devil appeared to him, and he said, what are you doing? And St. Macarius uh, you know, asked the devil to tell him why he was there, and so the devil said, you fast all the time. We don't eat, so in that we can hang with you. We can, you know, you know we can deal with your fasting. You pray all night, we don't sleep. We can stand next to you patiently as you're praying for the moment that you're going to stop praying so that we can tempt you. But there's one thing that we can't comprehend or attain or come close to you from, your humility. And because of that, we can do nothing against you. This is what the demons told St. Macarius. Humility overcomes the devil. When she finally arrived at the home, did she take a deep breath? Can you imagine taking a deep breath, bracing herself to enter into such a shameful place, you know, like like she would receive such shameful looks at her, you know, uh, as she entered the house because it was clear that the Pharisee labeled her as a sinner and everyone knew she was a sinner. What was that moment, that awkward silence? It was like a movie scene, right, where somebody walks into the room and we all, they're quiet and they all kind of just look at that person walking awkwardly in the room. Everybody must have been silent, looking at her in awe and, and like in amazement that this sinful woman was walking and she walks towards Christ. Everybody's shocked, not saying a word. And then overcoming all of this, she reaches Christ. And what does she do? She doesn't go to his face and talk to him. She doesn't even say a word, but she goes directly to the feet of Christ. What a march this must have been to the Pharisee's house, a challenging hike that Christ was observing the whole time. He was aware of all that she was going through, but let her walk that walk anyways. And he rewarded her at the end. It's a beautiful and inspiring walk that she must have taken to the Pharisee's house. And she offers us an example of the path to forgiveness. <clears throat> she recognizes her sickness, which we should all do. And in front of all, she comes to the true physician of our souls and bodies for healing. She doesn't let anyone else get in the way of their salvation. Whether it's friendships or even family relationships, we should not let anyone get in the way of our salvation. The same gold she earned performing earthly deeds, she exchanged for the fragrant oil as an offering to God, and she offered it to God. 
She proclaims that she no longer has any affections on such worldly things and that she now seeks the kingdom of God. You often find the repentant people giving to the poor or some good cause as a natural reaction to their desire for repentance. Not that God needs it, he doesn't need these offerings, but as a seal of repentance and to enforce that the true object of affection is Jesus Christ and nothing of this world, they give of their possessions. Prior to this, she probably used that perfume on her and to make herself smell good and look good and so on. But now she pours it at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the church fathers linked almsgiving, for example, to true repentance, giving funds that were used for ourselves and transferring them to be used for God's glory. In the Bible study on Friday, we talked a little bit about this. We discussed that the Philippian church, which gave an offering to St. Paul while he was in prison in Rome, St. Paul writes back in his epistle to thank them and knows that they have a share and a fellowship with the spread of the gospel. He tells them, and I'm paraphrasing, that, you know, thank you so much for your gift. Oh, Philippians, you're always so generous, but I have learned in whatever state to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But for your sake, I'm so happy that you gave this gift because to me it was a measure of your spirituality that you're advancing in holiness and, and your relationship with God. And he was happy that he did that, that they did that, but he himself did not need it. He says, I am full and I am content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But for your sake, I'm so happy that you gave this gift. St. John Chrysostom, uh, for example, uh, he says, when one preaches and you serve the preacher, you share in his crowns, for it makes us shares in the rewards that are laid for them. For this is God's loving kindness, to bring those that are less zealous into the same rank with those who are zealous. So if you're supporting, you know, through your almsgiving and through a sign of repentance, God, of course, gives that, that blessing to you. Not that God needs it, but again, it's a sign of our uh, desire for repentance. And as our Lord says, for whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Of course, heavenly things are not to be bought with money. Riches cannot purchase these things, of course. But the purpose of him who gives, that's what, uh, that's what matters. Exercising his superiority over earthly things, his love toward mankind, his mercifulness, all of these, of, of course, are reflected in the almsgiving. The intentions of the heart is what matters. Another offering this woman made in today's story is she offered her kisses, not going to his face, but to ask forgiveness at his blessed feet, asking them, um, asking for God's forgiveness at, his, at, at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of the dust that was on his feet because the Pharisee didn't wash his feet, as was the custom, um, but she did. She acknowledged that she is dirty and that she needed to be cleansed, and so she goes to the feet of Christ. And she offered her hair. Just prior to this, she was probably ordaining her hair, and she was probably taking great pride in her hair, but, um, and it was probably very beautiful, but here she offers her hair to wipe the feet of Christ. She offered her tears. If we could learn to weep as she did, it would move mountains. One may think that tears conflicts with St. Paul's words to rejoice in the Lord always. He always tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to rejoice. Also in, uh, Bible, uh, in the Bible study on Friday in Philippians. But it's in the tears of repentance that we find true joy, an unfading joy. Um, 
Just like St. John Chrysostom says, having joy in worldly matters always brings sorrow, but having tears for repentance brings true joy. Because when we approach the worldly matters and find our joy in it, it always disappoints us. It always leaves us with greater need for it. But when we approach Christ with prayers and supplication, even in tears, he will never disappoint or fail us as long as we're patient. I love the quote from uh, Father Matthew the Poor who says, When you stand before God boldly, God cannot bear it. He grows weak before the sinner and is overcome. As if God can be overcome. But when the sinner goes to God in true repentance, in a spirit of repentance, it's as if it were God is overcome. And he can't bear it. This is what the repentant woman did. She overcame Satan. She overcame the Pharisees' judgments. She overcame her own sins. But not her, but Christ, when she drew near to him in tears and humility. Christ is the one who was with her in that walk towards the Pharisees' house. And again, as St. John Chrysostom says, just as after a violent burst of rain, there is a clear open sky, so likewise when tears are pouring down, a calm arises and serenity, and the darkness that comes from our sins quietly disappears. Those kind, tear, those kind of tears that are prayed for, that are prayed in quietness and in secret, not for display, these are the most powerful of the type of prayers. So let's learn from our Lord Jesus Christ, who says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is gentle, he is forgiving, he is loving, he is always accepting. Let us learn from him and come to him and be, be like have his meekness and lowliness of heart and, uh, and his mercy as well towards other people. And may God grant us always to be accepting to those around us so that the message of Christ is not hindered and that we can shine also with his love in our life. To him be glory forever. Amen.